Hey, this is Pastor Tim. I'm Scotty. And this is Jonathan. Welcome back to another episode of The MVP. We are so glad that you have joined us once again as we dive into one topic from Sunday's message, uh, bringing it into the 21st century. Dr. Tim, why don't you talk to us about laying on of hands? Yeah, so we are wrapping up the portion that, you know, a couple of these things that we have seen, it's been happening over the years within the church, and that's the prosperity gospel the laying of hands, whether it's in healing or whether it's in demon possession, casting out demons and so forth. And so we, we, we want to look at that again, talk about that a little bit more and um, just consider the, the, the truthfulness of it in the fact that, you know, if it was true, these people would do it outside the premise of, you know, a building and cameras and actions and, you know, lights and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and so that automatically ought to have a switch go off in somebody's head and say, how come they can't do it outside those realms or outside those boundaries? And I think that's where people get stuck because I think we are people who desperately want to believe in the scriptures so much that we're willing to believe a heretic that can heal and cast out demons to the greatest degree that we think that they have the power of God. And, um, and a lot of that starts with them laying hands on people. Now, like I said, uh, Sunday, you know, we, me personally, I've had hands laid on me to be prayed and so forth. And I don't know about you guys, if that's happened to you in your life. It, it has for me, I know, um, sort of a couple of times uh, over the last several years, you know, coming into ministry and then having been in it, I, I have both had hands laid on me and laid hands on others um, in in prayer uh, for for different things. Uh, but I have never, I've never done that in the context of trying to heal somebody or cast out demons. And you, you see this a um, couple of, the most important and influential times that I, that hands have been laid upon me were uh, like during my licensing or during my, uh, my ordination. Uh, the, the laying on of hands is, is a big part of that. Um, my dad and my brothers were able to be there um, or my dad was able to be there. And a bunch of the guys that were influential in my life were there as went through the ordination council and then the laying on of hands at, at the end of my ordination service. And um, that's really, it's it's it, it's a meaningful kind of um, bestowing of of responsibility, and we see it's it's the same thing we kind of see uh, that happens to Paul before he goes on one of his missionary journeys is that they prayed and laid hands on him. But again, that was not in the context of healing me from anything or or necessarily even bestowing me some new some supernatural power. It was just a confirmation of their belief in my calling and and their belief in my uh faith and my ability to to meet and to um to exercise my calling and i think we would all agree that that is a means of grace that's given to us where um we have a a feeling of comfort you know somebody is praying for us it makes us feel good uh, in that aspect of it. 
But when we're talking about laying of hands in in just the opposite side of that, it's not a means of grace, but probably more, as I said, cheap grace, you know, where it seems like these people, uh, these false teachers and uh, and sort are kind of like Simon. They're they're trying to buy this power to display upon people uh, to show something in in, in regard of uh, trickery. Well, it, it kind of goes back to the same. It feels very similarly motivated to the prosperity gospel. Uh, and we have to ask the same question. Who gets the glory in this? Is God being glorified in this? Because you look at when Jesus healed somebody, he would he would lay hands on them. He would spit in their uh, spit in the mud, spit in their eyes, whatever. And then he'd say, hey, don't tell anybody. Don't don't tell them that it was me. And so. He was he was almost deferring to that where a lot of these guys they don't say give God the glory they say tell them what I did tell the, tell them what I did and it was it's very self focused and um, glorifying to man versus glorifying to God and and that's sad because we're beginning to see I, I think a. You know, there's always been the national people who've done this. And then there is a couple of local spots, you know, your local community, you might have a deliverance service or what, whatever. And I just found out that, that one of the guys that used to preach for me, I, you know, he's, he's what I would say gone really off on the deep end, but he's now having a deliverance service. Um, he has been sitting with Benny Hinn, and this is a guy who was very conservative and preached against all of this stuff and now is performing it. And again, I think it goes back to a, a, a platform. You know, you, you have a platform for these guys. The local church is not enough. It's right. not enough to be a local pastor meeting people. Now, they all may have the start there, but somewhere this clicks. So, you know, this particular pastor that I'm thinking of started out in a local church, uh, did his, he began his own church plant, you know, and it, it was just a normal church, but all of a sudden the platforms have been coming. Uh, one of the biggest platform that he had during COVID was that, you know, he's anti-democratic and, you know, it's all, uh, pro Trump this and, you know, everything else. And of course that draws people. And now it's gone from that to the next platform, which is, uh, casting out demons or um, now deliverance of healing. And it just goes from one platform to the other to the other to create a circle of people that will follow you. And the sad thing about it is that these people who's probably been with him from the very beginning have already had their minds changed over and over and over of why this is, you know, right Another platform that this particular guy has is witchcraft. He's all he's all chasing witches now. You know, it's it's let me chase this witch. Let me let me get this witch out. I mean, he was talking about a deliverance service and how the witch showed up and they got rid of her before she was able. You know, it it just it's just one thing after the other. Well, I, I just had a, a couple of thoughts. One is like, do people who follow these these uh, you know, faith healers or deliverance pastors or whatever, do they not... What happens when they don't see results? 
if I'm if I'm going into this service and and he's smacking me across the head and healing your breakthrough my whatever, is about like, to come, and it's your fault. You're the you're the one that didn't have enough faith. Yeah, and your breakthrough will come. It's just not now. So your faith is weak. It's got to be stronger. You've got some sin in your life. You haven't given enough. You haven't tithed enough. For some reason, it's your fault. So the 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 lack of results is not the fault of the person who is who is claiming to have this this power and authority. It is the fault of the person who you're blocking their. Um, you're blocking, blocking the vibes. Yeah, you're you're blocking the power, the spirit for it to happen, and that's your problem. That's ridiculous. Second thought, uh, we see in in scripture, and I I can't remember the reference off the top of my head. We see uh, Peter and John going into the temple one day. And like on their way in, this dude who has been lame his entire life uh, is is begging and they just like walk over and, you know, heal him in the name of Jesus. And they just leave. They just walk on into the temple like they do this incredible thing and then just leave. And he like cartwheels into the temple in a minute. And the, the everyone that's there is like, what did you two do? What you know, this is incredible. And they try to give them all of the 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 glory for what's happening and peter like tears into these people he says no no absolutely not. this is not me this is not something that i did this is this is the power of god and he he basically like castigates them for for uh like murdering jesus and then trying to give he and john the the glory for all of this and i these pastors that are that are lying to people would be good to take from there. Well, it depends on what version of the Bible you're reading. See, their version of the Bible is that Peter and John came to the temple and found a man there and said, silver and gold, do you have some? We'll heal you. You know, it's, it's for something in return for them always, you know, it's always something in return for them. They say it's not, but it is. Because they're the ones who has the largest bank accounts. They're the ones who have all the luxuries of, again, the possessions. You know, why does a pastor, a local pastor, supposedly a local pastor, why does he need a regular mansion, a beach mansion, a mountain mansion? You know, why does he need three houses when he can only live in one? You know, why does he need the fancy Mercedes-Benz convertible? Then he needs the, what, the Escalade SUV, and then he needs his little toy cars, and then he needs his own personal plane. You know, it just, it goes from one thing to the next, but I'm convinced that these guys would not make it into a local church because local ministry is not what they're about. Right, because they're looking for the fame, and that's what I was going to say, uh, uh, earlier is that you see this same if you watch and 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 kind of track what pastors have to do to maintain an audience. Um, it's the same thing you notice if you watch a lot of, a lot of YouTube or, or social media creators. Uh, it's that same kind of deal. It's always got to be bigger. It's always got to be something more extreme. It's always got to be something else. There's a, a big thought process in in uh, church planning and, and, and outreach and evangelism that's whatever you did to get them there, you have to keep doing better and bigger to keep them there. And so 
when we're looking at these guys, and specifically the guy that you're talking about, he's continuing to chase other bigger, better, more extravagant, more uh, sensational things, be it witchcraft, be it uh, deliverance, be it uh, whatever, the the whole anti-vax, anti-mask charade thing that he did during COVID. Um, he's chasing these things to maintain and to grow his audience because it always has to be something. If he wants to grow, if he wants to continue to um, expand his sphere of influence, it's always got to be bigger. It's always got to be more. It's always got to be something else. And it's the same thing we see in so many other areas of life, even outside the church, uh, in social media, in in uh, just in the, in the ways, like even in the workforce, you'll see it where somebody is always trying to go bigger, always trying to go more so they can get more attention, so they can get the bigger raises, so they can get the, the better promotions and all these kinds of things. And it's this, this chasing that we're perpetually doing without stopping and going, what is this for and where is the glory going? So like for these guys, what do you think their biggest... Okay, so Monday morning. It's Monday morning. What do you think their biggest thoughts for Monday morning is? How can we do? How can we get more next week? I mean, yeah, I, I think that I think that's it. It's 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 more of what do we need to do, or it's more of a financial planning. Hey, the report says that we're you know we did, we only had you know seventy four thousand dollars come in last week where we need one hundred and three thousand. You know. What's uh, what we need to survive our TV program or whatever. That's their concerns. You know, here it is Monday morning. And, and you know, it may or may not be a typical morning for every pastor. But, you know, I've already gotten um, two texts about, you know, one person being in the hospital, the results that they're getting, one from a surgery that's went well in Birmingham. You know, um, we've talked to people. I've already talked to people about having a need in their community in, or in their community of life. I've already talked to somebody who's who's driving down here from, you know, the Dakotas and want some information about more of the soccer and the programs that are around here as they move their family here. You know, I've, I've already engaged in somebody else talking, you know, today about uh, where they go to church. You know, that's not on their agenda. Right. I mean, that's not their day. Because again, it's, what what is this for? When you sit and you look at why we do, the three of us specifically, why we do what we do, you can't, I mean, I am very thankful for the financial support that the church gives me. But at the same time, I'm not driving a Bentley. I'm not driving a Mercedes. Uh, I don't live in a 35,000 square foot house. We do what we do, not because of the the financial gain that we get. We do we, what we do because this is our calling and to call people to a deeper, uh, more consistent walk with Jesus. But that's not what they're doing it for. They're doing it for what can I get out of it? And that's and that's the whole thing of. I don't think they'll they they are cut out to do local ministry. They're, they're not. They're not. They're not looking who they can meet, who they can pray with. They're not looking at, you know, so-and-so's having surgery or, you know, this is happening or that is happening. It's all about a financial balloon for them. And if that financial balloon goes away, man, they're done. But when you're out and about and you, you have an entourage that prevents people from speaking with you directly, 
that tells me a lot about who you are and where your priorities are. That's that's one of the, I think Jonathan, you and I have talked about this. Um, I, several years ago, before, before I, I landed where I did, uh, I had been visiting other churches, and one of the things that struck me about um, the the sort of mega church feel is that there's it is hard for me to connect with somebody who I can't look in their eyes if I'm looking at somebody through a screen I can't connect with them in a way that would help me grow in in my faith and just over the course of the last 15 20 minutes of this conversation it, it it's kind of gotten in my head a little bit that the the people that follow these these pastors are not getting what they need. I think they think they're getting what they need, but that they're not actually, they're not being fed. They're getting what they want. They want to believe in such a, a, a God who can do miracles and cast out demons that they want to be one of them. And, and I don't want to be a person who's saved, who has a testimony that I was saved and a believer in Christ. And I had to have a devil exercised out of me. That I mean, to me, that just doesn't make sense. Because if you become a new man, it, it that doesn't happen. Now, do we sin? Blah blah blah. Yes. All right. But does that mean I have a demon in me? You know. Um, and and that's that's the problem when you get to this demonology and all of this. This particular pastor we was already talking about earlier. You know, he, he, he's gone as far as to say that autism and all this is uh, done by demons. You know, if that's the case, then yes, we would all have some type of what uh, casting out demons for, for children to be normal. You know what I'm saying? So, so you try to find blame and you try to find something that's sensational that people will hold on to. And, you know, as I said before, you know, this woman said that her child had autism and they they prayed over her and they laid hands on her and the child went flying across the room and now she's fine and all this kind of stuff. I mean, these are just stories that we find hard to believe. But if you listen to that group of people, it's an everyday event. You know, they, they've got stories left and right that they they talk about this kind of stuff. And and the sad part about it is is like you said before, if you're the if you're the person that has no faith. And you're the person who seems to not get um, what you're praying for. It's always your fault. How does that portray in a relationship with God? It, it seems like to me it would be always, well, God must be mad at me because I never get what I pray for or I never get deliverance or I never get you know, this. I, I don't get the prosperity that I'm looking for. I must be so miserable as a Christian why should I even try? That's that's a, a statement that says that they they would never get they would never get salvation because they would never be able to be good enough for God. And that's that's heartbreaking. That's really sad for these people. And it's the opposite of, of what the gospel is all about. Right. Yeah. And and again, Jesus used those type of forms. The disciples used those type of forms. You know, they use those type of forms to draw people along with that. But again, you go through the Gospels and Jesus comes to the point and he says, you know, I'm done with y'all. I'm not doing any more miracles anymore. From here on out, 
I'm going to speak in parables. You know, he, he, this this large crowd stuff has now gone away, and there'll be privates or you know a few. But but he says from here on out, I've gained your attention. You really don't want to listen to me, so I'll just speak in parables from here on out. And and that's that's where Jesus got because the disciples were the same way that he, they were given power to change the world in spiritual changing the world. That's why he told them, you wait for the Holy Ghost so that you can have power on high to go out and what we call the Great Commission, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. By chapter 8, that's what we see. And then through the uttermost parts of the world, that's where we begin to see the rest of the chapters. And he said, you're going to need this because you're going to have to gain people's attention after you get done preaching. You're going to preach the gospel first, and then you're going to do the miracles. So, um, you know, I... People just don't want to hear the gospel anymore. They want a shortcut in in gospel. They want a shortcut in the Christian life. They want a shortcut answer for everything. People want a shortcut to get to heaven, to have all the rewards, but do nothing here on earth to gain those. So that leads us to kind of where, where I want to wrap up. What... What do we do when we encounter these kind of uh, of people who are sucked into this horrible theology, or uh, people that are that are, are are subscribers to this kind of stuff? How as we how do we as Christians best interact and interface with them in a way uh, that calls them back into truth? Well, I think the first thing we do is we just say, okay, let's 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 look at this. In, in scriptural form. Let's look at it in scriptural form. Do I believe in scriptural healing? Absolutely. You know, is that what you're seeing? Is that what you see these people doing? If that's not what you see these people doing, we've already got a red flag, right? Okay, so second of all, how are people chosen to be on the stage to be healed? Again, how does that work? How does it work that, again, they're not outside? Jesus was in the street. They're not healing in the street. Jesus was at the beach. You know, he's on the seashore. People he's, people are not healing people at the seashore. You know, Jesus was in the homes. They're not in the homes healing. I don't even know. This is probably bad to say. I don't even know if these preachers would go to their own mother-in-law's house to heal her. I mean, because honestly... That probably can't happen in the sense that the way they do it or what they say they do. Yeah, This is what Jesus did, but we don't find them following Jesus' pattern. And I think that's what we have to, we have to do is, is, is tell people, listen, even if it's one step at a time, think about this. Show me, the, show me what they're doing. That is the pattern of Jesus. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a really, and I think that goes even to what we were talking about last week, um, is, is, is this preaching, is this teaching following the pattern of Jesus? And like we've talked about already here, who is getting the glory from this? At, at the end of the day, whose name is being elevated? Is it this pastor's name or is it the name of God? Uh, is it the name of Jesus? And I think once we begin to, especially as people who, who are familiar with the gospel and familiar with faith, as we begin to point out these in uh, these discrepancies, 
that they are not looking that these teachers are not looking to elevate the name of Jesus, but to elevate their own name. I think that may play a very key role in um, calling people back to the truth. And I think we need to get to Marvel and have Captain Healing. <laughs> and at night he sneaks out in his cape and his his face covered, right? And he goes into the hospitals and children's wards and he touches them and they're all healed and he flies out and the next day the headlines say, you know, children healed of cancer and nobody can figure out who's doing it. You know? So Marvel's Captain Healing coming this November. <laughs> He's got, he's got, he's got a suit with a big cross on it. You know, there we go. Yeah, there we go. I like it. Yeah. I like it. All right. If you want to hear more about the adventures of Captain Healing, tune in next week to the MVP. We are glad that you have joined us. We hope to see you Sunday, and tune in next week for another episode of the. MVP.